in Galatians uh, chapter 1, and uh, we will, one way or another, close out chapter 1 today. Um, but let me add that I really, really appreciate um, the the dialogue that we get to have in class. Um, so please, if you want to interject something anywhere, just let me know and we'll do that. Um, we had a lot of that last week and and I was really blessed by that. Um, this week's lesson perhaps doesn't have as many opportunities for that, but if you do um, w- want to speak, uh, please please do so. So we're going to pick up in verses uh, um, verse 15, and somebody read just 15 to the end of the chapter, and we'll just lay it all out like that, and then we'll get back into the lesson. Thank you. So last week we ended with Paul's, uh, the, the testimony about the first part of his testimony, I, I should say. I, I remember saying that, uh, you know, when we share our testimony that we should cover three areas, you know, before Christ and uh, then our conversion experience and then our life after Christ, right? Then, and that can be done, you know, I always recommend that you have... Um, three versions of your testimony, if you will. Not that the, you know, it does. Those three things don't change, but you need a, a short, a medium, and a long, right? Depending on the the opportunity that you have to share the gospel. And we did talk about last week of the importance of a personal testimony. Does anybody remember what we said? Why that's so important, and to have it you know, succinct to where you can do it quick or medium or long, depending. Does anybody remember why that's so crucial? Well, scriptural. It is scriptural, yeah. The scripture says, be instant, in season and out of season. Share the hope that lies within. All right. The hope that lies within. I love those few words, right? The hope that lies within. Because that's the one thing we've got as believers that the world doesn't have. There is no hope that lies within an unbeliever. And I missed the opportunity uh, Friday morning. Um, and I, I guess I got to revisit it. But I went to Starbucks and and the gal that took my order, I was telling my wife, she was very outspoken, a great employee, right? Because, I mean, she, every, everybody that came in is very, very outspoken. And I, and I ordered my coffee, and uh, I just get the regular, no, nothing against you all that get the <laughs> everything else. But uh, I don't know what those even are. But um, anyway, um, she said, room for cream and sugar or just black like my soul. 
and I mean, I, they shocked me so much that I said, just black. I didn't add, like, your soul. But, uh, but I thought, you know, I wanted, I thought, you know, I, I need to address that, you know. And so the guy I was meeting with, I told him that. And he's like, wow, that's pretty bold, you know. But, um, you know, I was sharing it with Kit. And she said, well, well, maybe she, somebody just said that. And she just says it. And she doesn't even know what she's talking about. And I said, well, I would hope. But probably not the best thing to share. But. Again, it, it's so important for us to realize the hope that's within is what I was getting at there because people can argue all day long with you about the scripture and, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe, you know, yada yada. The one thing that we have that they can't argue about is the fact that our life changed, right? <laughs> it changed. Something happened. And, and you know... I can't really explain what it is because I can promise y'all, if you knew me before, my pre, I wasn't persecuting Christians. I may as well have been, but but something changed, right? And then the fact that it still changed from all this time, because I changed, you know, I'd quit drinking for a day, you know, till she wasn't looking again. You know, I'd change for 24 hours. But we're talking about change now for over 30 years. I couldn't do that on my own. Something happened. And nobody can argue that with us. So that's why it's so important for us to have that personal testimony. And that's exactly what Paul's doing. So, as I said last week, um, we looked at the pre. And this week, we're going to look at the continuation, the second part of his testimony, his conversion. So he starts in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So what he's saying, you know, is no, there's no human explanation or influence that could, uh, could account for the 180 degree turn that Paul's life took. You know, he didn't do it. Nobody else did it to him, right? He he was like a, a runaway freight train that just crushes everything in its path. He'd lost all control of his life. He was completely without any restraint of persecution on Christians against the church, against God. And he didn't, like none of us, initiated uh, the, the uh, choice to be saved, right? If somebody starts talking about the Lord and wanting to come to salvation, wanting to be saved, it has to be God that has awoken their spirit in order for that to happen, right? I heard a sermon one time where the preacher said, I just believe anybody that wants to get saved can. And I wanted to raise my hand and say, well, I'll take that a step further. I believe anybody that wants to get saved is. Because you're not going to want to unless something has already happened, right? Because we looked at a couple of weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You cannot respond to spiritual stimuli until God has awakened you. Does that make sense? So Paul was in that category, right? And that's exactly what happened to him. So he begins to speak of his conversion, pointing out that, that God did it entire, entirely apart from any human agent. And this, of course, is reference to the Damascus Road experience that we've looked at. And here in Galatians 1, though, 
this conversion story is told, I, I like to look at it this way, from the inside, right, from within his heart. You know, to be sure, of course, there was the outward, the physical side. That's the experience in Acts 9 that we've looked at several times. That was the the outward physical sign of his conversion. And again, his conversion was not the product of some mere subjective imagination. He didn't hallucinate when he uh, saw God, you know, with his physical eyes. He had really seen, truly, really seen the ascended Christ. With his physical ears, he actually heard his voice, right? But the outward and the physical would never have sufficed had Paul not seen and heard that within his own heart. It had to be applied to his heart. And I think a testimony for us, of course, none of us have have heard or seen Christ audibly or, you know, physically, visibly, but... Had we not all at some point in the past heard about him, was is there anybody here that at some point in your life before you were a Christian that you can that you can say, I never heard the gospel? Nobody ever said about Jesus to me. Anybody in that group? You know, we all heard it at some point or another, right? Well, why didn't it click then? You know, that's what I think of. Back when I was in high school, I grew up Catholic, as I've told you all. And, but growing up in Sandy Springs, all my friends were uh, Baptist. Majority went to Mount Vernon Baptist Church. Um, and, you know, so I heard about being born again. You know, that's what the Baptists do. The Catholics didn't worry about being born again because you were baptized, you were grafted right in, right? But... Uh, Anyway, um, do you remember this this organization is still around, not as uh, prominent as back in the 60s, but uh, called Young Life? You remember Young Life? So at Hammond Park, they had the Young Life meetings. Hammond Park's still there, but probably don't have Young Life meetings. But um, I would go to those. I'd smoke some weed on the way over there and go. And and you know why I went? Because there were girls there. But one thing you can know for certain, there was never going to be a Young Life meeting that the gospel wasn't shared. So I heard it over and over and over again, just as Paul, you know, I mean, he knew the Old Testament, right, with his training. So, But it wasn't until it was applied to his heart. So the story that's told here in verse 15, he says, but when it pleased him to reveal his son to me. So who's the him? It's God, right? And and you see that from time to time in Scripture, you know, that there's no name mentioned, but you might have a he or a who or a him and a who, right? Um, you know, the, the words then who set me apart, who called me by his grace, this forms a combination in which both God's sovereign good pleasure and his marvelous love to one who was so undeserving, right? Now start to think about that. I have been, you know, my study in this um, about Paul's life since we've been in Galatians has just really been overwhelming to me, you know, to to see. Uh, I told Kit yesterday, I said, I can't wait to meet this guy, you know, that um, that he was so radically changed. But then it just always keeps coming back. Well, all of us were, too. 
right? So this expression, set me apart before I was born, of course, refers to far more than the divine providential activity of Paul's physical birth. Does it remind you all of any particular verse? What's it indicating? It's indicating that God did not, as it were, wait until Paul had first proved his worth before appointing him to an important function in his kingdom, right? I mean, what does that sound like? Is anybody born physically, raised, educated, and and then God sees, yeah, yeah, he'd probably work pretty good with all that that he's got, so I'm going to pick him. Is that the way it works? Is that how people are called into ministry? It's not, is it? Um, so from Paul's birth, before his birth, he was already designated. Pardon? Predestined. Predestined, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of people that get edgy about that word, right? Predestined. What's another word we could use for that? Elected. Elected. They get edgy on that one, too. Predetermined. Predetermined, yeah, yeah. Predetermined, predestined, elected. And it's over and over again in Scripture, you know. So the thing that pops into my mind when I grasp that and I grab hold of that and I try and comprehend it is like I, 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 am, I am floored. I'm humbled. I'm amazed um, that God would have chosen me to be a child of his. I, I can't. I can't comprehend how that could be possible other than the bible tells me that's how he works because I, I think i said last week if you guys knew what i was like you would kick me off the elder board right i'm telling you i was a wicked vile human being and god had to have if god works overtime he sure had to do it on me to keep me alive to the point where but then you know then the weird questions start well why did he wait till i was 38 i hope he'd only done it back then right but he didn't so his purpose is perfect and uh and um i think the biggest challenge that confronts all of us and even those who either are believers and resist that truth or unbelievers is we don't have a full scope and understanding of sin and depravity. Yeah. And the yeah. darkness in which, so even thinking about the young lady that made that comment about her soul, is what some of us will fight and resist pride to think that God chose me because I was worthy. It's like getting picked first, you know, for a basketball. Yeah, yeah. I was chosen, but yet the reality is we don't fully understand depravity, we don't see the grace, the immense grace, in the fact that he chose us because even though we were sinners, yeah. as Romans 5, 8 says. Yeah. So even in, so, we struggle with pride to realize, even in our testimony, that, you know, you hear somebody say, my, my soul is black, I might think, well, mine's not, and so you need to know the truth. Yeah. When the, the response ought to be with grace, say, you know what, <laughs> my soul is as black as yours. Yeah, yeah. But I have been redeemed by one who can bring light to that darkness. That, that's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Paul, we, we were reading 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, and his attitude is, you know, I'm the least among the apostles. Yeah. I, I persecuted the church. I didn't deserve this. Yeah. But, but one who was untimely born 
was chosen to be an apostle by the grace of the Lord. And yeah. therefore, by the grace, I am what I am. That's right. That's good. Yeah, it's, you know, kind of like one night we were handing out tracks in Atlanta and this couple was walking towards me. I <coughs> said, sir, could I give you a gospel track? He looked at it and he went, Psh, you could use that more than me. And I said, you know what, sir, you are exactly right, you know, and and off he went. But, but you know, the, the, other, the other way that some people try and, and and look at this and the exact not the opposite but the, another way some people try and justify this beyond what we're saying is they have this idea that God looks down through the annals of time and then he sees that right there you know in this season in Tim's life back there in 1991 yeah he's had this this 38 years of of this immoral horrible life um, but Oh, there he is. He's hearing the gospel. He's going to get saved. There he goes, right? And then so he chooses. But that's not what it is, right? And and the verse that I think Paul is teaching us here is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says, before, listen to this, before I formed you in your mother's body, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you. What does it mean to be sanctified? Set apart, right? A prophet to the nations I ordained you. So, is that true of us also, or is that just Jeremiah and Paul? It's true of us also, isn't it? I mean, those to me are wow factors. You know, those are big time wow factors. And I was reminded again this week, not to be morbid or anything, but of how short this life is. Right, a good friend of mine passed away this week, Lou Priolo. Did y'all hear about that? Yeah. yeah, Lou went to be with the Lord. He got sepsis and 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 died. You know, and I mean, an instrument of, of God. I mean, actively in ministry here in Atlanta, uh, one of the stalwarts of the biblical counseling movement, prolific author. You know, and you guys say, well, wow, why? You know, um, but it's that quick. You know, so the gal at Starbucks, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's coming, right? So what, you know, if, if it's true of us also that we're called, sanctified from our mother's womb, what is the immediate purpose and the separation, the, the, the immediate purpose of this separation and calling? You know, I think Paul tells us at the beginning of um, verse 16, what does he say? Um to reveal his son to me that's the reason right so what does it mean to reveal something we asked last week or two weeks ago about um um it was 70 year old brain just kicked in uh troy answered it i remember that i remember talking about the creek getting cloudy looking for crawfish um we were talking about something being distorted distorted thank you yeah so now we're talking about you know to reveal his son to me so what does it mean to reveal something um expose it make it clear yeah that's and and what is he exposing it i think it's more it, it this is an exposure to the intellect randy read um 
out of, was that First Corinthians you read? Uh, Second Corinthians says, I think we, this revealing is the, once it's revealed, it's made clear there's a transformation that happens with it. So Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 3.18, and we all with, now listen, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit so the revealing is 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 more than a an an intellectual understanding it has now been applied to our hearts you know paul remember when uh he he on the damascus road thing in acts 9 you know it was like he was blinded right and then once ananias was sharing with him that something happened. What happened the, to his eyes? He says the scales come off of his eyes. This this transforming, this illumining grace is now the scales are coming off of our heart as well, right? The heart is now ready and is being changed as well. One commentator said this about this. Listen, quote, the more Paul sees that it was this very son of God whom he had been persecuting, but who nevertheless had taken pity on him and in his infinite and tender love had sought him, had stopped him in his tracks and had changed him into an enthusiastic ambassador of the mysteries of grace so much the more he also loves and adores this Christ. And the more he adores him, so much the more his own mind, his inner disposition is patterned after that of his Savior." So this should also be what happens to us when we remember, right? That it drops us to our knees in adoration for our Savior. And I think one of the times this really came clear to me is was years ago. And I know Randy and Kay would remember Miss Evelyn. Is anybody else in our church back then? John and Sue. So... The Lord gave me this opportunity years ago to minister to and eventually lead to Christ this woman that was in her uh, 70s in Atlanta, pretty much a homeless lady, but the guy she'd been living with died and the family let her stay in the house, but it was a dilapidated house that was uh, falling down. It was her and her dog, Stephanie, and... um, Miss Evelyn was, I mean to tell you, um, when she came to know the Lord, she really came to know the Lord. She, I discipled her, and um, her workbooks that she would do, the fundamentals of the faith and those types of things, she'd have the, I, I mean, I've never had a student as good as her. I mean, she really, God really got a hold of her, and and um, as time went by, uh, years later, I uh, she was really more involved with this inner city church I'd have, but then when that when we came back out to faith, um, I would pick her up from time to time from Atlanta and bring her to church with us. She eventually moved in with a family from our church for a while, and then she eventually, of course, passed away. But when she got uh, when she died, there were uh, she called me about four o'clock in the morning. I rushed down there and. Stayed with her for a while, and then, I don't know, 7 or 8 in the morning, uh, two or three ladies, I don't know, um, I, th- I think Misty Sheffield, maybe Julie Barkshaw, were you part of that, Kay? There were, there were two or three ladies that were in the room with her singing hymns when she went to be with the Lord. But what I was going to say about Miss Evelyn is uh, 
she was about that tall, and she drove this Ford station wagon that was about as long as this room, <laughs> had trees growing out of the, you know, where the hood goes down, and covered in cement because it was down the street from a cement factory, and, and anyway, she was something else, but... Uh, um, I was taking her back home one day, and she said this. She said, Tim, I don't understand what's going on in my life. And I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, I can't seem to stay on the right side of God for more than a minute or two. And yet he hasn't cast me out. You know, she said, I'm amazed. Why would such a God have anything to do with somebody like me? And, of course, I was... I guess 20 years younger then, and so I was thinking, what could an old lady like, I'm old now, but, you know, I was thinking, what could an old lady like you be struggling with, you know, but it's true, right? And I mean, I've never forgotten that. I thought, you know, boy, what what a statement, and I think, you know, as she ended that, you know, she asked me, why would God save me? And that's where Paul's at here, right? And, and I can't help but think of what he penned in Philippians 2, 5, where he said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, just saying, just as being set apart and calling had its purpose to reveal his son, Paul, so we've seen his pre-Christ, we've seen his conversion, and now the purpose of that, right? The phase of his testimony after, after his conversion. And that's what's picked up in 16b and following. So in verse 16, the end of it, in order, why did he reveal his son to me? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So it's obvious that indirectly the call, if you will, was not just to salvation, but definitely also to the office of an apostle to the Gentiles for Paul. So in his life, these two things can't be separated, the salvation and the call to the Gentiles, right, as an apostle. So that begs the question, then, can they be separated in our lives? Are we different than that? You know, in other words, you could say, does God call everybody to have a duty? in the Christian walk. Um, somebody flip over to 1 Peter 2.9 and read that. Does everybody have a duty? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what do you think? Is that just for whoever Peter was writing to? Or is it for us? Is it just for Paul to be called and to be uh, an apostle to the Gentiles? Or is it for all of us, right? What do you think? It seems like Paul had a special role, a special All right, good. So then what is that? What is that general call for all of us? To reveal, proclaim the gospel. God gives us gifts and opportunity to do so. Right. So is there anybody here that doesn't have the opportunity to do so? You know, those of us that are married with, or, you know, with children, is that an opportunity? 
It is, right? And I imagine, I think everybody in here is of working age, you know? Do we have the opportunity there? We do, don't we? So this all holds true also with the respect to his experience that he had. And, you know, we got to think like, well, what about us too, right? So immediately after his conversion, he continues. Look at the end of verse 16 again and into 17. He's converted now. He's called And he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So having been led by the hand to Damascus, again, we've looked at Acts 9 a bunch. We don't need to go back there. But he never gave anyone an opportunity to impose their ideas upon him, right? Now, of course, Ananias was there leading him by the hand, but who directed Ananias to do that? The Lord did, right? The Lord had had told him to do that. Ananias had laid his hands on him. He'd restored his sight. He'd baptized him. And he told him that he would be a witness to all men. But all of that was from the Lord to Ananias to Paul, right? It wasn't directed any other way. Ananias had heard personally from the Lord to do this, right? In fact, Ananias, having heard that that distressing report of, of Paul, Saul, the persecutor, he was reluctant to go do it, right? Are you kidding me? You want me to go share the gospel with that guy? No way, right? But he, he obeyed, right? So would you have been reluctant to do that? Yes, sure. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, um, so is there... Somebody, well, let me ask it this way. Then what drove Ananias to the obedience to do it anyway? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, yeah. You know, he had a proper fear of the Lord. Instead of what we talked about when Paul, in, in earlier in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, I think it was, you know, when, when he cursed the people for... Uh, putting forth a false guy. We talked about people-pleasing, remember? And Paul wasn't a people-pleaser. You know, obviously Ananias wasn't either because he feared God more than he feared what Paul could do to him, so he went. So is there someone now in your life that you're reluctant to share with? Anybody? Um, we all have so much. Yeah. And, and, and so Why? You know, I mean, I'm speaking to me as well. I'm with you as well. Pride. Pride certainly could be, right? Yeah. I think idols like pleasing man over pleasing God. Pleasing man, yeah. People play. Pardon? Doubts. Now what will I be able to handle situation? Yeah. I think sometimes for me it's just I like the my own personal praise of my Savior because if that's really welling up in my heart that I understand not only that he saved me you know as an eight-year-old girl but he's saving me every day you know he's setting me apart he's working on me so that's just a love that's got to be cultivated and grown and nourished and then as it wells up in my heart I am proclaiming his praises right Mm -hmm. I mean and that's usually for me how gospel opportunities happen is just being thankful and grateful to the Lord and like John said giving a hope so when I'm dead and I'm not sharing my faith, it's because my, my heart's dead. 
I mean, I am not welling up with love and hope and mercy because that's what's abiding in my own heart. So it's usually my own self-centered disobedience that I don't then have a mindful opportunity because that's, for me, that's where it's always precipitated is my own joy in Christ. Then I'm more sensitive to the needs of others by just, you know, I mean, I remember one time I was in the postal line and the line was really long and everybody was complaining and I had just been filled with the scripture and I was just saying, well, it's a wonderful day. We can all, and people were just like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, well, I mean, I've been reading my Bible today and the Lord is good. And then the next thing, you know, she turned around and she was like, thank you. I needed that reminder. Like, just, you know, but I can be just as grumpy and grumbling yeah. and impatient, you know, so it's just, I'm the problem, really. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and then even as that goes in the workplace in particular, as people observe us, and you can't not observe somebody in the workplace, right? If it's the person going around grumbling and complaining all the time, then, um, you know, they're probably not going to, you're not going to go to that person when you have a problem. But the person that seems to have joy in their life, that's probably who you're going to go to when, when something like that happens, right? And, you know, interestingly, uh, this week we were uh, we spent a couple of days down at Jekyll Island, and uh, we were watching the sunset on the beach one night there, and the freezing cold. But uh, this one gal came up and we started talking to this young girl from Marietta. Had her dog, we had our dog. Talk about dogs, da da da, and and then off she goes. You know, and I thought I said, you know, we we really probably should have shared at least something with her about the Lord, you know, and we didn't. We walk up the little thing there, what do you call it? Uh, I want to call it a catwalk, but it's, you know what I mean? The little boardwalk, there it is. What is a catwalk anyway? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so uh, uh, the boardwalk, and there was a gal sitting there. I mean, like sitting on it, you know, and then it turned that way, and we kind of started to go by, and she just looked, uh, Kit said, you know, hey, how are you tonight? And, and she said, oh, I'm just enjoying God's creation. So we stopped, you know, and we started, just had a great conversation with her. She she, uh, she was a bit on the charismatic side, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, she shared, you know, she's really praying about this and that. And, you know, I just need a sign, you know, I need a Christmas miracle and all that kind of stuff, you know. We, well, we'll be praying, you know, we got her name prayed for, you know, and. So just those opportunities, you know, you just never know. I'm not talking about you go around and knock people down with the gospel. Um, matter of fact, you know, the opposite that you don't do. When I was talking to Kit yesterday in the car about the gal at Starbucks, I, I said, I should have just said, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And, you know, I think that's Acts 4.19 perhaps or something like that, King James Version. And, and um she said, yeah, that, that'd work real well. I'm sure she would have <laughs> dropped to her knees right there and repented, you know. I said, no. But, you know, so, yeah. Not that we shy away from using Scripture. I'm not saying that, right? But you get my, my point. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I got something that'll lighten that up for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, Paul, having spent a number of days in Damascus, though, instead of going to Jerusalem, 
to meet with the apostles, he doesn't go, right? Um, he, he knew very well that having seen the Lord and having already received the gospel and his call to proclaim it, he got it from the Lord. He was, he was on fully equal terms with the other apostles. So where does the text tell us that he went? He, he went to Arabia. All right, well, where's that? And I, I know that when I was in Peru a couple of weeks ago when Chris was teaching, he, he, he had a TV or something because he had maps up. I heard him talking about the maps. And so Arabia, is, it's a, a, an e, a region that's east of Damascus and down towards the Sinai Peninsula a bit, right? But the, the place and the purpose of, of this are, are really unknown um, but it surely was part of the preparation for his ministry. And, you know, so then, of course, my mind goes, well, why did he go there? Well, one commentator says, quote, withdrawing to Arabia for rest, prayer, and meditation was exactly what Paul needed so that his mind, violently shaken, would have time and opportunity to ponder the implications of the words which the Lord had spoken to him at the moment of his unforgettable experience, end quote. I I think I like that, right? I mean, I think I would be pretty shocked if I went through that experience that Paul did. Of course, we all had something happen at conversion, but, you know, probably not to that measure where we're knocked to the ground, we hear God's voice, and and, and we're blinded, and, you know, some dude comes along and leads us, you know, you know what I mean? So I think he had to contemplate for a while, and he had to rest, right? And, but then in verse 17, when this time is over, he returns again to Damascus. But he still doesn't go to Jerusalem, and he returns to Damascus, and he begins to preach Christ in all of his fullness, right? And in Acts 9.20 of this account, he goes to the synagogues. And, I mean, you talk about courage, right? He goes, he goes to the synagogues where he was on the same team with those guys persecuting before. So um, I guess a, a question there, you know, you think of how bold he was, but were any of you guys, like, overzealous when you got saved? You know, you remember an experience maybe that you had that you thought, well, I probably should have tampered that one down a little bit. Does anybody have one? You mean like stopping and presenting a plan of salvation to the constable sitting there in my subdivision running radar when I was coming home from work? Yeah, probably something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Got halfway through it. Yeah. Before he said he had to go. You know. <laughs> So the zeal that's there, right? I mean, this is new. This is an eye-opening deal for all of us, right? But then verse 18 tells us, Then, now finally, then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. So he goes to Arabia and Damascus, and then he finally goes to Jerusalem after three years. Now, the whatever portion of three years this was, we don't know. Uh, my mind likes to think, you know, if it says three years, then it was January 1st, three years. But it could, you know, the way the uh, the Jewish calendar or time frame works, it could have been two full years and part of a third year. I mean, we just don't know. But somewhere around three years, right? We don't even know, if, uh, again, if those were three full years. The main point is this, that not immediately after his conversion, but now at last, after three years, 
he leaves Damascus and he goes to Jerusalem. So why did he go there? He's already got his commission for the gospel. He's already been preaching. So why did he go there? Well, what does it say there, though? After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to what? To see Peter, to visit Cephas, to see Peter, yeah. So he wanted to be a... Why would he want to do that? And, and how long did he stay there? Fifteen days. Why go to see Peter for 15 days? What's the purpose of that? Well, he Pardon? We call it a same page meeting at work. Okay, same page. There you go. Yeah, they weren't talking about the weather, right? Certainly he had heard of Peter, right? And so I think, you know, he was probably sharing his story and Peter was sharing his story, right? They would gain valuable information from one another. The same page meeting at work. You know, you were working on this. I was working on that. You know, how can we... Bring this together for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, verse 19 is interesting to me. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Right? So the reason for this can't have been that he was hiding in Jerusalem because we know that Paul did not have fear. Right? So it wasn't a lack of courage on his part to see these other people. Right. The, the reason that he didn't see the other pop, apostles was because they probably just weren't there at that time. I mean, isn't that good enough? You know, uh, but so he tells us who he does see. He wasn't hiding out in the back closet somewhere and Peter coming to meet with him secretly. Right. The point that he's making is he didn't deem it necessary to meet these other guys at this time. He didn't need their approval. He'd been approved by God personally for this. And so he says that he didn't see any of the others except James, the Lord's brother. Now, why does he add the Lord's brother to James' name? Well, it's James, the Lord's brother. That's why he does it. There's three James. Yeah. That's right. John's brother, the son of Zebedee, and Zebedee. And it's not, the other one was uh, the son of Alphaeus. And it wasn't him, it was the Lord's brother. Now that doesn't, this doesn't mean that he didn't see other believers while he was there. He very well could have seen other believers. He just didn't see any of the other apostles, right? Um, So, you know, he saw him there. And since Paul is well aware of the fact that his own representation of the facts is going to be challenged by the enemies, verse 20 and what I'm writing to you before God, I don't lie. Now, he, he's solemnly affirming with an appeal to God's own presence and his omniscience that what he says is true. So how do you and I today deal with if somebody says, you know, brother, I'm not lying. You know, I swear. You know, I mean, people swear on Bibles in court still. Do they still use the Bible in court? You know? Still do that, right? So are they really telling the truth? You know, I mean, was Paul really? I'm writing to you before God. I don't lie. So what's going on there?
not something man-made. A and B, I didn't learn it from any man. Yeah. Um, rather, I was, uh, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it in a revelation. And then all the rest of this seems like a, an expansion on That's those, those points to this audience. That's right. Yeah. You know, he know what he's about. Yeah. He's yeah. No. Yeah. He's hammering home the that this is the real thing because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's sealing it now with, look, I'm not lying. So how do we know we could take him for that, right? We probably wouldn't put it past him to devise a scheme to infiltrate the church. For the purpose of persecuting and destroying. Mm-hmm. To the level he was already persecuting. Right. So so he could have set out to learn all that I need to know so that I could get in the church and destroy it. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I didn't go to me. I, I was, this was. I went out here, yeah. The revelation of Christ. That's right. And this is what I've learned. I haven't learned this from anybody. He heard Stephen preach. He heard others. Mm-hmm. But so that could be one. Thing. Yeah, I, I think that's what that's what's right. So then, for us today, how can we say that same thing? Because we didn't get the direct visual. So what do we have? What is the tool that you and I have today that we can tell somebody, "Look, brother, what I'm telling you, I'm not lying. This is the truth. The Word of God. The word of God. We've got the Bible, which Peter, by the way." What did he say the value of the word of God was in chapter 1 of one of the Peters? Remember? Remember what he said? This is a... Above his own experience of seeing the transfiguration. That's right. He was on the mount and saw Jesus transfigured into all of his glory and tells us this is better than that. It's more sure than that. So we've got something just like Paul had that. We got this, right? Paul didn't have this. So we have that. And what a blessing that is. And then we um, go into verse 21. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And um, we don't have, he just says keep, he's preaching now, right? Because as it goes on to say, they were, verse 23, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So these people hadn't heard him preach. He's taken the gospel to them. Um, and, and they, I'm sure, were like, hey, hey, did y'all hear who got saved? You know, and then here he is, right? And so for the sake of time, I always go by what I hear out in the hall out there. So it sounds like they're... Uh, look to conclude because I promised Chris I would get through chapter 1 and they glorified God because of me that you know they weren't suspicious and 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 they took that of course you got two things working here you got Paul as God's instrument bringing this and and you got God working in their hearts to make them aware of consciously, spiritually awakened to what Paul is teaching. And the end result of that is they glorified God. And he even adds, because of me. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, boy, could we fall into a trap of pride 
when we think about, you know, if you hear somebody glorifying God because of me, right? So, boy, we've got to be careful with that. But this is Paul. I don't think he probably went there. But, you know, what about us, right? Has, has anybody glorified God because of the evidence of God working in, in your life? Not that you want to hear the kudos for it, right? But, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge. I guess we'll leave it with a challenge with that. So, yeah. yes, sir. They were witnessing to verse 23. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about the outward manifestation of the inward change. And so he, it was because of the fact that he had the reputation of. Yeah. He was. Yeah, glory to God. Look at that changed life. Not what he was doing, what had been done to him. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. Of the church, and so, and then when he says, "I don't lie," I mean, I can't help but think of Ananias. Like Peter called that lie out. So Paul met with Peter, and Peter validated Paul's ministry because he's going to have to defend himself to the Galatians. But by mentioning, I met with Peter for 15 days. He knows my testimony. He, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm genuine in Peter's eyes. That yeah. would have carried a weight yeah. to the people in Galatia. So. Yeah, that's good. You know, and. You know, praise the God for disciplers, you know. I'm sure Peter discipled him for those couple of weeks there like that. I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your life like that, Um, you know, but um, maybe you need to be like that for somebody. So, all right, well, we'll pick up in Chapter 2 next week and go from there. Thank you.